Hey, good morning. So we mixed things up a little bit this morning, which I guess you're used to by now. We're still working on getting, I like to put the scriptures up on the screen because I can read from the Bible and read to you, but there's something about us all standing under together or sitting under together the Word of God as we kind of turn and look towards it together. It's not something that I just come up here and, and bring at you, but it's something I sit under as well. And so that's one of the reasons we do that, and we're working on that now. I don't know how it's coming. We're about to find out. Remember overhead projectors? I bet they didn't have all these snags and hiccups. Maybe we should just get one of those. And we could use it with that, um, see our new podium that we might start using next to Skip over there? That podium in the corner? Yeah, and do some flannel grabs. <laughs> Let's see what happens if I do that. Eh, that's not what you wanted. We got our displays reversed. So we're going to just let Bree sort it out because she's really good at that. And what I'm going to ask you to do is open up to the book of Daniel, which is on page 1057. Um, the book of Daniel happens right after, well, doesn't happen. You find it after the book of Ezekiel, and sandwiched in between Ezekiel and, what, Amos here? Hosea? Go ahead and turn there, either, or you can just hit search if you're using your iBible. But let's go there for a minute, and we've been talking for the last few, well, I guess almost a month and a half or so about the secret life of the Holy Spirit. And it's been really fun. Whenever you talk about the Holy Spirit, things get interesting because the Holy Spirit is interesting. The Holy Spirit's not boring. The Holy Spirit is not predictable. The Holy Spirit is not really into being nailed down, but the Holy Spirit is good. And the Holy Spirit cares and is involved in our lives. And I was thinking recently about not necessarily what is the Holy Spirit like, but I thought, why don't we take a morning and look at somebody whose life was lived in such a way that for the long haul, there was this sense of being profoundly tapped into and in tune with the Holy Spirit. And for me, one of the people that represents that is Daniel. You look at Daniel's life, and Daniel's legacy, his integrity, his faithfulness, spans three generations. This book of Daniel starts off when Daniel is about 14 or 15 years old. And it says that Daniel was a strapping, handsome, well-built, and incredibly intelligent young man. If that's you, raise your hand. If that's someone you know, point to them. <laughs> but Daniel, Daniel is a stud with a capital S. Like he's just, he's handsome, he's, he's got it all, but he doesn't live like it comes from him. If you look at his life, he's marked, his life is marked with this profound humility and this profound integrity and wisdom. And every time you see Daniel in a situation where God comes through, which the stories, we'll get into them on the surface level, it's crazy 
some of the things that Daniel experienced. And every single time he says, this is all God. The Most High God did this. And sometimes he doesn't even have to say it. Most of the time, it's these pagan kings that say, whoa, that's a whole different God that lives life through you. And it's absolutely beautiful. It's, it's this majestic life that Daniel lived. And so I thought, why don't we take a few minutes and look at the things that Daniel did and the things that Daniel didn't do and say, what did he know and what can we tap into to live a life in tune with this beautiful, unpredictable, yet faithful, wise Spirit of God? So Holy Spirit, thank you for what you've been up to this morning already. Thank you for taking time to get to pray for those of us that are in transition. Thank you that we're always in transition on some level because you're always inviting us deeper with you. And we trust that you'll meet us this morning, that you'll speak to us, that you'll encourage us, that you'll tend to what needs to be tended to in our hearts because you are good, you are for us, and you love us. So would you meet us where we're at this morning? Would you really challenge us to think through what are the things that you're calling us into so that your spirit would come forth through us in a more tangible, palpable way? Little backstory the book of Daniel. In, I guess, the town in Judah, everything was going not so well because basically around the year five, who are the history people in here? All right, raise your hand if you like history just makes sense to you. Okay, not me. Forgive me for that. But around 587, what they called BCE, before the Common Era, around 587, so just under 600 years before Jesus entered the scene, King Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, comes and ransacks Judah and basically takes everybody back with him. They, he just overtakes Judah. And what they did is they would take some of these talented, gifted, unique individuals and they would train them. The Babylonian king would take these, and it names off these four young men. If you look in Daniel 1, these names are always fun to say. If you're already there in Daniel 1, look at this with me. These names are a blast. In the third year, this is verse 1, in the third year of the rule of Judah's king Jehoiakim, Babylon's king, this is an easy one, Nebuchadnezzar, if you see in the matrix, you know what we're talking about, um, came to Jerusalem and attacked it. The Lord handed Judah's king, Jehoiakim, over to Nebuchadnezzar, along with some of the equipment from God's house. This is the common English Bible, if it sounds like a strange translation to you. Nebuchadnezzar took all of these things to his own God's temple, putting them in God's treasury. And then he selected, he asked his highest official to choose people from the ruling class of the Israelites. Verse 4, good-looking young men without defects, so no acne, straight teeth, Probably not those kind of defects. And capable of serving in the king's palace. What they would do with these people is they would take these young men and they would train them in the language, the culture, the literature, the backstory of the Babylonian culture 
so that they could be the go-between, the intermediaries between the Israelites and the Babylonians. So that they, could, they would basically create human, I guess, bridges to bridge the culture gap to help things go more smoothly in their tirades and overwhelming of nations. And Daniel was one of those. There was Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You know any of those three guys? You'll know them when they get their name changed. Daniel's name became Belteshazzar. And then we have, remember, who's seen the VeggieTales of this? Good thing for VeggieTales, hey? Bible literacy, poop through the roof once VeggieTales got invented. So we have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Rakshak and Bini, for, for those of us that really know our Bible well. Um, so this is something interesting from the very beginning. So Daniel and Rakshak and Bini, can I just call them that the rest of the morning? Um, what they did is they were put through this rigorous master's program of Babylonian culture, literature, poetry, all these things. And they also were asked, to eat from the king's feasts on a daily basis. Now this is super interesting. Something that Daniel does in response to being asked for three years to eat the king's food. You guys remember the story. What does Daniel say when they say, hey, you're going to eat with the king on a daily basis? Imagine the king's spread. Imagine what these meals would be like. And Daniel looks at that, and what does he say? He says, no thanks, I'm a vegetarian. All I do is juice, daily. They're like, how do you keep your figure? How do you keep those man pecs in that six pack? And he's like, well, watch for three days, or 10 days actually. He says, test me for 10 days and you'll see. And so often, we, how many of you have heard people talk about how they ate a vegetarian diet for 10 days? It was three years of this program. And it said that they looked at them, they watched them, and I think, I think I actually have the verse up here if you want to see it. Now, what does this have to do with paying attention to the Holy Spirit? That's what I'm hoping you can tell me. Oh, you know what? Skipped one. Oh, I mixed the verses up. Or oh, these got mixed up. So, says, so Daniel, Daniel comes and he says, I don't want to be polluted by the king's feasts. I don't want to be polluted. So he goes to the guard. The chief official had pointed over them and, and he says, why not test us for 10 days? You could give us a diet of vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance to the appearance of the young men who eat the king's food. Then deal with your servants according to what you see. And you remember the result, right? They come in and they win the physique contest from their juicer, from their kale and carrots and you name it. They win the physique contest. And they're also more mentally sharp. They remember things more clearly. It says that they were ten times more intelligent and learned than all of the other people they had brought along. How many of you are going to go vegetarian starting this afternoon? Hey, Brickhouse opened, by the way. That's called ironic timing. <laughs> but um, Brickhouse opened, and uh, you need to 
get there soon if you haven't been back to Brickhouse Barbecue yet. But so where am I going with this and why do I bring Brickhouse up? This is one of the things that I started thinking about, looking at the life of Daniel. Let me see if this is the right section. Oh yeah, this was the verse that I was trying to have first. Somehow they got mixed up. But look at that first line. Daniel decided that he wouldn't pollute himself by all the king's feasts. You can read the rest yourself if you want. But basically he says he won't pollute himself with the king's feasts. And then Daniel comes out even more strapping, more intelligent, and more trustworthy. And the king says, whatever you're doing with them, keep it up. So here's my question. What is it in our diets that either dull or sharpen our sense of what the Spirit of God is doing in our midst, in our families, in our relationships? For Daniel, he went vegetarian. And it helped hone his senses and he was in tune with what the Spirit was doing. My question for us is, what are the things that we consume? I'm not just talking about food. What are the things that we consume that either dull our senses to the Spirit or the things that sharpen and enhance our sense of the Spirit? Can we talk about that for a minute? What are some things that come to y'all's mind when you think of things that When you think of things that you consume that affect the way you, your awareness of the Spirit of God. Yeah, Brennan. Yahoo News. So it sharpens it? <laughs> now, I realize I'm opening up, I realize I'm opening up a can here. So let's just keep in mind that whatever, I, dude, I so, totally should have said this before you spoke because I'm not saying this because of what you said. But I, I acknowledge that whatever someone says here, and we need to keep in mind this is our own personal opinions and our own personal conviction, okay? But, so with that, Brandon, <laughs> um, now that I've totally cut off the limb that you're sitting on. Um, but yeah, so, so for you, Yahoo News, or just, notice how simple, see for me I don't think it's necessarily about whether or not Daniel's eating vegetables. Is it possible that it's really the simplicity that's at the root of it? that he was guarding himself from... I mean, what, this is what's challenged me out of this passage is, what are the areas in which I'm a glutton? Because gluttony dulls our senses, doesn't it? Can I confess something to you as your pastor? You know an area of gluttony that I'm being convicted about lately? Is how many books I buy that never get read. <laughs> Brittany's like, ouch! No. I, I literally have this addiction that wants me to just get the new book. My wife's like, it's annoying. But, but that's an area that if I would simplify and actually just consume just what I need, it would sharpen me to the senses of the Spirit. What are some of those things for you? And I, So we'll, we're not going to hear any more right now, but just think about that. What are some things that you're consuming that dull your discernment in the Spirit? And what are the things you consume that sharpen what the Spirit of God is up to? And if you have some things that come to your mind, can I tell you something that I 
try not to do, and I notice it definitely changes the dynamic of my day. If I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is either check email or end up on Facebook, you know the tone that's set for that whole day? Rough. Not good. It's not bad necessarily, but it doesn't put me in this place to really be in tune with what the Spirit of God is saying. Anybody else find that you have to really be careful with what you consume immediately upon waking up? Not physically, but mentally. And going to bed. What you do right before you fall asleep as well. What do you consume right before you fall asleep? And how does it affect your ability to discern what the Spirit of God is like? So if you have some things that come to your mind, and I, I would encourage you and challenge you with this. Will you be aware over the next week of your consumption decisions and what it does to your sensitivity to the Spirit? Whether you need a journal and log it or just want to be more aware of it, will you be thinking about that? Can I tell you something really silly that I've noticed lately that I've totally had to move out of my diet? It's a four-letter word. starts with C, corn. You guys are like, wait a minute, is this like an anti-corn sermon? I noticed that when I remove corn, probably because of the genetic modification, when I remove corn from my diet, I actually think ten times straighter. Now, I'm not saying you need to go remove corn, but what I'm saying is I'm trying to cultivate a sensitivity. How does everything I consume affect my ability to discern? Does it make me dull or does it make me sharp? And sometimes it's really, really practical and even kind of annoying. Let's keep going, though. Just a couple more, just one more thing I think I want to point out, because we could spend a lot of time in the book of Daniel, but you remember Daniel's story. So Daniel, the first thing that happens to him, apart from this, is he has, King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream, and he goes and he says, hey, I'm basically going to, I want somebody to tell me not only what the dream means, but you have to tell me the dream. And they're like, uh, yeah, that's not setting the ball on the tee for us. You just set us up for failure. And he says, and if you can't do it, I'm going to kill everybody. All of the wise people. Wonderful. And Daniel steps up to the plate. And the Holy Spirit downloads to Daniel not only what the dream means, but the actual dream itself. And he goes to the king, and the king is actually blown away. And it's a dream about a statue, remember? A statue with a head of gold, and then and it goes through these different types of metal. And, and then at the very end of the dream, there's this little stone that's cut out of a mountain overcomes all these other kingdoms the dream represents. So, ironically, even though Nebuchadnezzar knew what the dream meant, according to Daniel, what's the next thing you find Nebuchadnezzar doing? This is called a lesson in missing the point. Come on, Rackshack and Benny fans, you remember? What was the whole point of that story? The body, the body. King Nebuchadnezzar builds a 90-foot tall by nine foot wide golden statue. Where did he get that idea? Hashtag missing the point, right? He sees it has a dream of a statue and then he goes and builds a statue and says, all right, whoever doesn't worship this. And so then we have the story of Rakshag and Benny getting thrown in the fiery furnace. Where Daniel is, I don't know. Has anybody ever thought about that? I don't know where Daniel is in that story. But it's kind of beside the point. So then... Nebuchadnezzar kind of learns his lesson. Rakshak and Benny survive the fire, and there's someone else in the fire with them. No idea who that might be. Jesus? 
And Nebuchadnezzar has another dream, and he tells the dream. And Daniel says, this is what it means. And the next thing we know, we find Nebuchadnezzar crawling around on the ground outside in the fields with fur or like feathers like an eagle and talons. And Have you guys read this book lately? It's weird. It's super weird. If you notice that I teach a lot of the New Testament, it's just because it's easier. <laughs> Sorry for being lazy, but it's just a lot easier. But So you ask, like, is that literal? Like, did that stuff really happen? Moving on, <laughs> I think that this stuff is legitimate things, that it's just, it's really fascinating, but so how does Daniel respond? Again, this call goes out, so a little bit later, I'm kind of giving an overview, but, oh, I had that in there twice. Stick with me, just so, there's one more main point I wanted to make. Look at some of the things that they say about Daniel, by the way before we get back into that story. This is a third time that Daniel's asked. I believe this is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belteshazzar, something like that. It's the third time that he's asked to interpret a dream. And the king comes to him and he says, Hey, Daniel, I've heard that the breath of the gods, isn't that an interesting statement? The breath of the gods is in you and that you possess illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom. Have, you, have any of you ever asked God for that? Or how about this? Who's found themselves in a situation recently where you realize you didn't have that? I could tell you a story, but I won't. That's embarrassing. I have heard that the breath of the gods is in you and that you possess illumination, insight, and extraordinary wisdom. Now the sages... We had a little boy that messed with our, uh, it's not your eyes. Some of you, how many of you guys were like, oh my, I'm going to the eye doctor as soon as I leave here. I'm making an appointment. Oh, Bree is saying. How funny is it that it took me till now to notice? Don't think too much into that. Now the sages and the dream interpreters were brought before me, the king is saying, to read this writing and interpret it for me, but they couldn't explain its meaning. But I've heard that you can explain meanings and solve mysteries. So if you can read this right and interpret it, you will wear royal robes, have a gold chain around your neck, and will rule the kingdom as third in command. So he's going to become basically a hip-hop star. A gangster rap. Um, how does Daniel respond? Daniel says, I'm good with my veggies. Keep your gifts, because I don't need all that stuff. What does that tell you about the kind of character, the kind of person Daniel is? Give the rewards to someone else, but I will still read the writing to the king and interpret it for him. And he does. This is actually, this wasn't a dream, I'm sorry. I'm kind of jumping ahead too much, but this was the weird writing on the wall, remember? The king is sitting there, and all of a sudden these words become written on a wall, and he starts panicking, which, imagine right now, <laughs> yeah, I can't imagine what that would be like, but it makes me think of the movie Matilda, Roald Dahl, that book. Um, and so Daniel says, look it, I don't need your gifts, because simplicity is the way to go for me. 
And in chapter 6, something similar. This is another king. This is the third generation that Daniel's a part of. You notice I'm trying to hurry just because I want to, there's so much in here. But Darius decided to appoint 120 chief administrators throughout the kingdom to set them over three main officers to whom they would report so the king wouldn't be bothered with too much. One of these main officers was Daniel because of his extraordinary spirit. It says he soon surpassed the other officers and the chief administrators so much that the king had plans to set him over the entire kingdom. As a result, the other officers and the chief administrators tried to find some problem with Daniel's work. They were a little jealous for the kingdom, but they couldn't find any problem or corruption at all. Can you imagine? Someone's coming and they're trying to find some dirt on you. And there's nothing to be found. I hope that's the case about me, but I don't know. Don't dig too hard. But It says that he was trustworthy. He wasn't guilty of any negligence or corruption. And where do they say this trustworthiness comes from? It's an expression of his spirit. This extraordinary spirit. So this king decides that he doesn't like. Actually, these guys get jealous. Remember the Daniel and the lion's den, the background with this. These guys get jealous. They encourage the king. They basically trick the king into making this law. It says anybody that prays to another god should get put in the lion's den. And the king signs the document not knowing what he's doing. Daniel 6, 10 through 12. When Daniel learned that the document had been signed, he went to his house. Now his upper room had open windows that faced Jerusalem. Which way would we face if we are going to face Jerusalem? East. Now, our only windows are there and they face nowhere. But, so Daniel, listen to this. He knelt down, prayed, and praised his God three times that day. Just like he always did. Now, remember how I highlighted in yellow some of those other lines? Highlight this one in yellow in your mind. Just like he always did. You know the rest of the story. Daniel's thrown into the pit of lions and the king freaks out and the next morning the king goes to check on him and he's just kind of hanging out with his pet lions. Who's been to Thailand? Anybody? Let's see how Chris has. So in Thailand you can go to this place called Tiger Kingdom. Those of you that are really passionate about animal rights are not going to like this story. I'm sorry. I didn't know any better. But in Thailand, we went to this place called Tiger Kingdom where you can literally walk into a cage with a tiger and hang out and play with it, pet it, cuddle it. If you had that opportunity, would you do it? Not after this story. Did you go to Tiger Kingdom? So, so can, I, can I tell you really quick? What happened here? This is just kind of fun. I'm sorry if you're offended at people caging tigers. We didn't do it. But I, it was kind of one of those bucket list things. I wouldn't do it again. I'm sorry. But 
So in, I think it's Chiang Mai, Thailand, this place called Tiger Kingdom, you can go in and they have everything from five-month-old tiger cubs to 18 to 20-month-old tigers. Uh, I'll give you a hint. The 18 to 20-month-old tigers are probably 450 to 600 pounds. Um, they stretch from like me to Rob, not including the tail. So the, the babies, the four-month-old babies, I remember, I don't know what I was thinking, or maybe not thinking. I need the spirit of Daniel more in my life. But. So I decide to take Joshua in with me to the little cage with the four-month-old tiger. And I'm sitting there, and I'm holding this little tiger on my lap. And this is what the, the guide or the trainer, this is what he says to me. He said, Joshua was two and a half at the time. It's a little bit older than Ryan, Ellis. And Joshua's standing next to me, and the, the trainer says, don't let him run in here. Because if he runs, the tiger will think that he's either food or he wants to frolic and play, and the tiger will make good on, <laughs> he'll, the tiger will accept that invitation. So I'm looking at Joshua, I'm like, don't move, don't blink, don't breathe. <laughs> don't, don't, don't. Joshua just stands next to me and I'm holding this baby tiger. And so I asked the guy, I'm like, well, you declawed them, right? Are they they're sedated or something? He's like, he takes the tiger's paw, four-month-old baby tiger, paws about the size of my hand. He pulls back the toe. And there's a claw, like, almost an inch long right there. He's like, no. Tigers are just nocturnal, so they're just tired right now. But you don't want to rile them up. <laughs> I said, noted. I'm not good at following instructions. This time I did. So we left that tiger cage, and me and another girl on our team in China went into the, the cage of an 18-month-old tiger. And this thing, like I said, was huge. And we sat there and we were petting it and, and everything was okay. But about three months later, a friend of mine, his sister, went to Tiger Kingdom. Some of you are already grimacing. She lived, but it was ugly with a capital U. She had gone into one of the cages, and I don't think it was the same one that I was in, but it was one of the kind of a little bit older tigers, 20-something months, two years old. She walked in. Something happened to set the tiger off, and it turned on her, and it clenched on to her upper thigh, locked on with its jaw to her upper thigh. And the trainer took off running out of the cage. And she's sitting there thinking, I want a refund? And I don't remember all the details of, of what went down after that, but I think it was her husband or her brother that came in and basically helped her get this tiger off of her somehow. And she scrambles through the gate and is able to, they're able to close it behind her. Now, why do I tell you all that? Because we don't really know what it's like to be thrown in a lion's den. I don't, we don't really have that experience commonly. And so you can imagine Daniel's surprise and relief and the king's relief when, what, they pull the, I guess, the top off of the pit, whatever it is, and Daniel's sitting there, hanging out with these lions. 
I don't want to have that story as part of my testimony. <laughs> I don't know about you all. I'm okay with, without that, that testimony. But I think we need to really understand that it's a profound thing that Daniel experienced. What does his spirit have to do with what happened there? So, let me just say this, and then I'll, I'll, I'll reference one other thing, and then we can respond. But I think there were two main things going on in Daniel's life that really influenced and shaped his encounter and his engagement and his attunement to the Spirit of God. And the first one we talked about is his diet. What are we consuming? And I think the second one, and some of us kind of recoil at this word. There's a better word for it, but the best word I could think of is discipline. Notice his habit. He knelt down and prayed and praised his God three times that day just like he always did. This was a ritual in Daniel's life that helped him reconnect with the Spirit of God. And apparently he did it like clockwork. So let me ask you all. Well, let's, let's ask this on two levels. How many of you find yourself recoiling against words like spiritual discipline? How many of you get worried that that's going to take us into the realm of religiosity? And you're like, no, we, we can be free. We can be open, flexible, spontaneous. But... Isn't it beautiful, the simple faithfulness of Daniel? This three times a day routine of getting on his knees, looking out of Jerusalem, and I'm sure it was laced with longing for his home. And maybe there's something we can learn from that. Now, I'm not talking about our physical home, but... I mean, we could talk for a long time about the times in our life where we just feel far from home in terms of not experiencing the daily embrace of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right? Now think about this. What if Daniel's routine is helping him tap back in to a longing for where he should really, truly be? Think about your own life for a minute. What would happen in your life if you would find once a day, twice a day, three times a day where you had the same routine where you just paused and you said, Father, my home is in you. Will you show me the ways that I have and haven't been living out of my home in you? Would you stir in me again that longing for home? Would you awaken in me this longing for where I truly belong? Could we have one or two people share what's something for you that, that Daniel's discipline, I guess that resembles Daniel's discipline in your life? What's like a little habit or a little thing maybe that you do do or something the Holy Spirit's inviting you to do now that just causes you to kind of pause on a daily basis and come back home in your heart? Does anybody want to share something with us? Um, just for you to have a window into how I process this real quick. Um, one of the things that I want to get back into is tucking my boys in at night. 
I find that the more I have on my plate, I am about 14 days out. Or, well, we're about to move in five days. Um, by the way, we might need help. Um, we're about to move in a few days, and I have my last, my final paper in my Fuller Seminary program due on the 4th of September, and all these different things going on. And so it's easy just to get kind of yanked into the next event. But last night, I just decided, you know, I'm going to take 10 minutes with each boy and just lay down in their bed and just cuddle with them. And you know what I remembered as I did that? My boys really like me. And I really like them too. But it was just a really beautiful, rich time. And I connected with God in the midst of that. And it's something that I, it's a discipline where I come back home to my spirit and who I want to be, the kind of father I want to be, the kind of parent I want to be, the kind of person I want to be. I come back home to that by almost forcing myself to get down in their bed and push aside all the things that I need to be doing next. Don't you think that Daniel had a lot on his plate? Daniel was, what, second in charge of an entire empire? Yeah, I'm talking about you. Yeah, you. Do you think that Daniel had a to-do list that was a little bit daunting at times? I think it was longer than yours? When's the last time you managed an empire? I don't know, some of you, like, we can talk about that later. But So Daniel is managing an empire, and he takes time three times a day to go pause and touch base with his longing for home and just get centered back into the Spirit of God within him, this extraordinary spirit. So what might that be for you? I would, I would encourage you to say, what is something that I can do that I can just push things aside and come back home to myself, whether it's gratitude or whether it's silence or or whatever it is. But you know what you might just find? You might just find this wisdom and this discernment and this insight and this illumination that just bubbles up out of you that's been there all along because the Holy Spirit's with you all along. But maybe there are some things we're either consuming or things we're distracted by that don't make space for that to emerge. It's not a guilt thing or a shame thing. It's a, hey, this is something to be stewarded well, a relationship to be tended to that Daniel seemed to be a master at. Three generations, it says he was faithful, trustworthy. There was nothing in which he was negligent or corrupt. Can you imagine someone being able to say that about our lives over three generations? You're like 95 years old and people have nothing negative to say about you because you are so faithful. Maybe it had to do with what he consumed and what he carved out time for. So I'd invite you to take a couple minutes. If, you, um, if you're new here and you're just visiting and you don't know anybody, then feel free to just reconnect with the coffee and snacks and stuff like that. But I would encourage you, if, you're, if you don't have to go, if you need to go right now, I'm going to pray for you and, and let you loose. But I think it's really important to actually figure out how some of these things land in our lives. I would like us to take a couple minutes where we are and talk to the person around us, maybe in pairs or a group of three, and just say, all right, here's something that I'm consuming that I need to reevaluate, and here's something I want to carve out more time for. Can we take a few minutes to do that before we go? So like I said, if you absolutely need to go once I pray, you're free to go. Otherwise, I'd like you to take a minute and reflect and share, and we're going to pray for each other, okay? We do get to clean up today. (laughs) So we'll... We'll start cleaning up around at noon. We'll pull everybody together and we'll, we'll start packing up. But let's take a few minutes to do this. So the kids will be coming back out. 
in a few minutes, so just be aware. But let me pray. If you have to go, please go. But let's stop and process for a minute, okay? So you join me? Yeah. Holy Spirit, we look at the life of Daniel and we're inspired. Not because we need to emulate his life, but because there were things that he tapped into that if we could tap into those as well, we would do well to do that. We all have things, I believe, that you are challenging us to reconsider. Do we consume this? Do we consume this as often? Maybe more in moderation? Are there healthy things to be consuming that, that we're maybe not? And what is something that you would invite us to carve out time for? What's something you would invite us to carve out time for so that the spirit of wisdom, this extraordinary spirit that you are, could come out more tangibly through our lives, just like Brandon shared. He walked into a room and somebody's like, whoa, you brought someone with you. I want more of them in my life. That's our heart's cry, Holy Spirit. So would you speak to us? Would you encourage us? Would you show us what this means for us? So like I said, if you need to sneak out, then, then go ahead and do that. Um, but if you have a few minutes, will you? And also, sometimes when we're here, we get a word or a sense or a feeling or just an impression for someone else in the church. Maybe God's kind of giving you a, a burden or an insight into someone else's situation. If you have something like that and you need to share that, then please make sure to do that. Or if you'd like prayer for something unrelated, a physical thing or, or financial thing or something, um, we have people that are always available for prayer. Raise your hand if you're a regular that's always up for praying for people. Will you raise your hand real quick? Yeah, so you know who our prayers are. But I invite you right now, let's just, um, just take a couple minutes if you have it. What's something you're consuming and what's something you'd like to carve out that you want to maybe reevaluate in life? Go ahead and talk about that now if you don't need to go. Okay?